the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hi folks, Paul Spain here. Welcome to this special episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Today we're jumping in with three of the winners from the 2022 New Zealand High Tech Awards. We've also got a second episode coming on its way, which will have some more of the winners. Now this year at the NZ High Tech Awards Gala Dinner, it was the largest ever, attracting around 1,100 attendees on the night, including Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who highlighted the purpose-driven nature of the companies within the New Zealand tech sector, and also the great opportunities that lie ahead for us. Now, I'd like to thank very much the organisers of the NZ High Tech Awards for including me at the gala dinner in Wellington. It was great to catch up with so many of our listeners and others from right across our incredible technology sector here in New Zealand. And of course, I must say many thanks to our incredible New Zealand Tech Podcast partners for their support making this show possible and also their broader support for the New Zealand technology and innovation ecosystem. So thank you to Two Degrees, Vodafone, Spark, HP, Guerrilla Technology, Cyclone and Aruba. All right, without further ado, let's jump straight in. Well, great to have you here, uh, Graham Grant, uh, CEO of Sequent. Thanks for joining the New Zealand Tech Podcast today. Yeah, well, thanks, Paul. Really uh, love to be here and appreciate the opportunity to come on for a chat. Well, congratulations to uh, to yourself and uh, and the entire Sequent team uh, as winners of uh, PwC High Tech Company of the Year uh, Award at the uh, New Zealand uh, High Tech Awards on uh, on Friday night. Uh, how does that feel? How's that been received by the team? Oh, look, so excited! I've had messages uh, from all over the world. And, and of course here with our base here in New Zealand. And, you know, we, we had um, sent around on the simulcast and, you know, it's actually a surprising number of people watched through the whole event, um, you know, bated breath as to whether we would uh, take the big prize or not, and we did. So now people were very excited. And and although you know, it's obviously the, the awards within a New Zealand context, um, you know, everyone recognizes that when you achieve something of this magnitude within a country because they usually are within a country it's a statement about the efforts of the entire team it's not about what the new zealand team does it's a global team and so it's a huge reward for for everyone around the world yeah well done well done well the, the reason i wanted to have uh, have you on to have this chat is not only the award but i you know i think um you know, there's there's always so much going on within the tech sector, and uh, you know, sometimes we actually, you know, it might be a, a company of of some renown and well known, known which uh, Sequin is, but uh, not everyone knows what it is that you do. So I thought it'd be great to uh, just to delve in and and uh, you know, get a little bit of an update and uh, insights on uh, on the business. So maybe we can start with that in terms of just a little bit about where where Sequin came from, from a you know historical point of view. Um, and, uh, and and where things are at now, Graham? Sure. Well, let me, I'll try and trace that um, that uh, snakes and ladders kind of history as quickly as I can. Um, and, you know, as you saw from the um, position on the night, we are a pure play software company. We work in a very specific domain, which is in the domain of the geosciences, which is um, how the earth works. 
and that's all about what happens underground. So that's the world we work in, and we can talk later about what markets and what it actually does. That's the general domain space we're in, which is um, so uncommon to most people. Therefore, the company is largely unknown to most New Zealanders, and would be very surprising if many people had heard of us. <clears throat> it actually um, was a spin out um, from another software um, or technology company in Christchurch that still exists, which was in the medical sciences space. And they had developed developed some very specific high-end um, mathematics for solving a particular problem in the medical space. Um, that class of maths, if you will, was known to the resources industry, but had never been applied because it was computationally difficult with the computers of the day. Um, the medical team cracked that, and so it, it found its way into the resources market as a test, really, it's a bit of a trial, and it worked. And so that became the genesis of the start of the product, the main product we sell today, our core platform, if you will. And that was way back just before 2000 and, um, 2003, 2004. The company sort of sold its first products in 2004. So it's, it's not an old company. It's relatively new. Um, and from that genesis, it grew and grew, self-funded, um, no sort of equity injections, no debt and just grew within its means um, and it stabilized and developed that product set until it really started to hit the accelerator in sort of 2010, 11, 12. And, and through that period had, had separated uh, from a company standpoint from the original founding company. And then progressively we've seen a, a period of sort of different, um, different equity owners coming into the business over time to where we are today, where in last year we, we, the business was sold to a large American NASDAQ listed um, software company. So it's been a, it's been a 17 odd years of pretty constant rapid scaling, I would say. Yeah, it's been, it's, um, you know, it was, it was pretty impressive when, um, um, you know, we heard about the sale last year. Uh, what can you share with us on the, on the numbers front? So on the numbers front, it was in New Zealand dollar terms in the sort of 1.4 billion ballpark, uh, just a sh at the time, uh, so it, it was actually, um, uh, it was transacted in US dollars. So it was just a shade under 1.1 billion US dollars. Um, and uh, that was a complete buyout by the American firm. It wasn't a partial buyout in any way, you know, shape or form. And the company that acquired us um, is was quite recently listed on the NASDAQ. They were a private family owned firm up until 2020 and then listed on the NASDAQ in October 2020. So they're actually a relatively recent entrant to the private markets, albeit they're 35 years old as a firm. Um, so that's the that's the um, business of the time. We were then about 550 staff worldwide, something like that. We're now um, just pushing over 700. Well, so you're, uh, you're, you're growing, you've grown quite rapidly, um, you know, since that point. And you came into the business at, at, at what point, Graham? So I arrived in early 212. So we were about 40 people at that point in time. In fact, I'm staring at a photograph on my wall of the staff and they were all here in New Zealand in one little building yeah. um, in 2012. And I was based overseas, but I started with the firm in 2012. So I've been here just over 10 years. And um, Sean, the prior CEO, had joined a, couple, joined a couple of years earlier than that. So I've been through the journey. I was predominantly overseas and moved back here to New Zealand in 2017 as we started to head into a new equity round where we um, brought on board um, the Cell KKR from the, um, the west coast of the US. Great. 
And so since you've um, been in the role as, as CEO, what have been the most uh, most interesting things? Uh, obviously, this is, uh, has been a, a pretty disruptive uh, time over the last sort of, you know, Couple of couple of years with uh, with mm. with COVID, um, yeah. you know how how's it played out? Because you've been uh, you know growing pretty significantly as well during that period. I'd say you know, there's sort of three. Uh, there's lots of things that have happened in the last twelve months, but probably three things stand out that we were going through a sales process from late 2020, and um, we formally closed in June, <clears throat> June of last year after OIO approval. So you know, big issue one was you know. The company being part of a, another large company with all of the change that comes with that and anyone listening who's been through a large you know company um, buy out by a much larger firm 10 signs our size knows that that introduces a lot of complication and challenges um, to how you operate your business and that was something we've been working through for the last year the, the, the second piece was alongside that sale process uh, to bentley systems we were acquiring other businesses at the same time so through that whole period uh, of a short number of months, we acquired four other technology companies at the same time. So we were already on track with those before the before our sale process, and we closed those last year. So bringing on board four very different um, businesses in different places around the world and needing to run through the integration of those whilst we were integrating ourselves into this parent, um, you know, that was certainly um, certainly a challenge. Um, and 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 then of course trying to keep focus and. Um, maintaining fast, you know, organic growth through that period of change, um, you know, was you know, it was tricky. Um, it's it's been a, a, a really intense um, twelve month period, but in a way, we're through the bulk of that, and now we're sort of resetting our direction um, going forward. Now that we've sort of settled down, if you will, under the new ownership structure. Okay, gotcha. So uh, can you break down for us a little bit about the, the organizations that you work with? Who are, you, who are your clients? What are the um, you know, sectors that you work with? Yeah, the client base is, is very broad, but I think for, it would be simpler to break it into four buckets. So um, we can think about, if we just think about it in terms of industry market verticals, so the company started in the mining industry, so resources was its home, and we've grown out in the resources industry to be you know, well north of 100 countries around the world now. And, and and pretty much if you can think of a large mining company's name, they'll be a customer. So that's wow. that's that's a resources side. Um, and that's across the whole scheme of mining, be it from precious, you know, base metals, um, so forth, uh, industrial minerals. Um, we're also in the, you know, the civil markets, so civil infrastructure, so the, the world of, you know, surface and subsurface built structures, railways, tunnels, roads, dams, those sorts of things. So bringing the subsurface knowledge to infrastructure. Um, we work in the energy markets. So we're known historically for our work in geothermal energy. Very early on in our history, we we partnered with Contact Energy specifically, and they were greatly helpful to us, as was GNS, in adapting our software to the problem of extracting um, critical heat, temp, um, steam, and temperature from out of the ground in, in geothermal wells and so we've become a quite a formidable supplier of subsurface modeling products into the global geothermal industry we touch over 50 percent of that market globally um and 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 we have some some exposure to the hydrocarbon markets but somewhat limited and then that's the sort of third vertical is energy and, and when we think about energy that's expanding into wind turbines and and other aspects of energy markets and and fourthly is what we class as the environmental markets and that's 
you know, broadly in the field of water and in the field of contamination. So with water, it's all about subsurface water, aquifers. Most of our towns and cities around the world are fed by aquifers. In, in occasions like Auckland, it's, it's obviously dams, uh, above ground dams. But in the case of Canterbury, um, it's heavily dependent on subsurface aquifers. So modeling those aquifers, modeling the fluid flow um, of water through those aquifers and how you could manage them is, is one dimension. The other dimension is contamination. So when industrial contaminants, for example, make their way into the subsurface and begin to move through um, the groundwater, how do you predict the flow of those contaminants where they go? And some of those contaminants are chemical and some of those contaminants um, bizarrely are explosives. So one of our fields wow. of specialism is finding unexploded ordnances. Believe it or not, um, a large uh, proportion of the ordnance dropped in continental Europe in World War II never went off. And it's still live. It's either in the ground or on the seafloor. And so when you're laying fiber optic cables um, or you're laying gas pipelines or you're trying to build a wind turbine offshore, you've got the problem of large bombs, unexploded bombs on the seafloor. So we can detect those things and have software to help them find them and remove them. Um, and that's and that, that can be for areas of conflict or it can be um, remediation of old um, you know, bombing ranges, as an example, where there'll be huge numbers of unexploded ordnances. So we, you can think about that in a sense as a solid contaminant um, and we're trying to deal with that and bring safety to bear. So you can see we're in a, a whole range of, of end markets um, and touch a lot of different uh, types of businesses, both government and private, but essentially you could say we fall into those four industry verticals. So can you tell us a little bit more around, you know, what is what is your technology, um, you know, do? Is it, is it actually sort of, is mapping is basically doing mapping below below ground, and if so, how does how does it actually do that? How do you do exactly. That? In a way, yes. So our most of our everyday experience is above ground mapping, right? So that could right. be in the form of a map, like on Google Maps, or it could be a satellite image. So hence the satellite layer of or of Google, or indeed you may have been familiar with GIS as a mapping system of the surface. Sure. Yep. Underground, you can't do that but you still need to understand it. So you need to take sample information and then derive from that sample information what's actually going on. So there are lots of ways of sampling in the mining industry and in the energy industry, typically you're drilling holes with the drilling rig. So you'll drill a hole, um, a borehole or a, a well in the case of a, an oil and gas or geothermal field, and you're sampling all of the material that comes out of that um, drill core to the bottom. And that could be four or five kilometers down and you're sampling the rock types, is that how strong is the rock, is it fractured, is the um, fluid, is it permeable or is it moving through the rock, what's going on, are there faults? If you're looking for metals, precious metals, what is the proportion of those precious metals found in the sample? What the software does is take all of that information, which is, I'll just describe it as, it's spatially unstructured information, so it sits in 3D space, but it's completely unstructured, and so it it joins all that together and creates a representation of what we believe to be underground. And based on that representation, you can then start to make decisions. You might Brilliant. progress so the decision to build a mine. You might inform how a railway line could progress through some very unstable territory. Um, you might predict what the steam flow will be from a geothermal well and whether that steam flow is sufficient to power the um, the power generation plant that you're about to build above ground. That's what the software is doing. 
That's great. And uh, is is this a space where there you know is a lot of competition? What is you know what does the market look like for you? There's always competition of forms in any software market. Um, the the world we live in is slightly different, where there has been traditional methods of how to undertake that activity. So if you like, you know, digitizing historical manual processes, what we've tried to do is come and transform how that works done by applying smart modeling, smart mathematics, smart algorithms to it to speed the whole process up, make it way more intuitive, make it easy to communicate um, and, and, and produce far higher quality outcomes, which is what the result of this core software did that we've, we've built here. Um, and so there, there are what I'd say kind of competitors, but we tend not to have head to head competitors because we're playing our software both operates differently and we play a different game in terms of the strategic model that we how and how we approach the market. Sounds like a good good position uh, to be in, Graham. Um, now where, where to from here? What is you know what does the future look like? And uh, you know how much of a commitment is there to uh, you know to the New Zealand uh, you know base going going forward? Uh, obviously, there's, you know, you've you've got uh, not not just uh, you know local uh, local staff, but you know how does how does that look? It's been you know reasonably hard in this last couple of years to recruit locally um, mm-hmm. because we probably haven't had enough people to go go around. Yeah, well, the the, the commitment we have to look at that qu- second question of commitment to New Zealand from the lens of Bentley Systems, the new owner, and they're extremely committed to what we do. They set out for us to operate as a form of standalone business, if you will. We retain our brand, we retain our identity. And why do we do that? Because we're a very different business than the core parent, if you will. Like we operate in a very different space and adjacent creative space, but we operate in a different space and they didn't want to disrupt that momentum or the positional advantage we have that we've developed over all these years. So as a result of that, there's huge commitment to us as a unit of the company, if you will, and for us to continue to advance at speed in our chosen strategic direction which we had developed over the years and we will continue to execute on that so no problems there and if anything they just want us to go faster so that's um that's great um in terms of you know so where to from here for the company there's there's vast opportunity in front of us i mean in a sense you know as you rapidly scale and transform things um you know uh, performance and transformation begets you know new opportunity and so we've got massive white space in front of us. It's just how fast can we get there? Um, and I would say that's across all of the spaces we're in, because there's massive, you know, mega trends globally, which are, if you like, driving these industries. But all of those mega trends driving those industries just mean you need a technological response, and we're in the box seat to deliver that technological response. So if I just give you um, a couple of examples just to bring that to life, so. You would have observed, you know, the, the world lurching towards, for example, electrification and transition energy and the desire for, you know, oh, so I'll say flippantly, you know, everyone to drive an EV car. Problem, there aren't the, the mineral resources to support that level of progress. They're just not there at the rate at which they're being produced today. So um, we need a, a huge technological support for the mining industry to work out how it can find enough lithium, enough copper, enough cobalt, zinc and all of the rare earth and critical minerals that are required to build your cell phone as an example. So we have a, we have a huge disconnected supply and demand market and technology is the only response to that. Um, on the infrastructure side, if you look around, particularly the Western world, 
a lot of the Western world's major infrastructure was built post-World War II and it's aging, it's getting old. And through those decades, we've seen populations, although the global population will grow stabilized and somewhat reduce given its its current projections, it has urbanized um, and the urbanization has created a massive pressure on both resources and infrastructure. It needs to be rebuilt. So to rebuild it efficiently and effectively, you need to know what's going on underground. So that's a massive, huge mega trend that, that is in, you know, that's just happening globally and we can't avoid it. And then as all of that happens, it's putting pressure on scarce resources like water, as an example. So we need to be great stewards of our precious water resources. And to do that, we need science. And so there's the water piece. And oh, by the way, on the energy side, if you take away hydrocarbons, you need baseload energy. Where do you get baseload energy from? Um, we don't get it from solar panels, and you don't get it from wind turbines. But geothermal is a great shout. New Zealanders are leaders in globally in geothermal. Um, that's an obvious place to go because the earth is just a great big hot thing. And you can pull heat out of most places in the earth and heat homes, heat businesses, dry things, you know, pump, you know, feed glass houses, generate electricity. So I'm skipping across all of those to say that in all many of these huge big global mega trends, the geosciences as it relates to understanding the subsurface is actually the key to unlock the way forward. Wow, that's pretty pretty exciting. You're in a great uh, great space there, Graham. Um, so, just as we as we wrap up, um, anything else you'd like to add? Whether it's um, you know highlighting areas you might be recruiting in, or or anything else as we uh, as we finish up. I think I would, yeah, two, two things I would say is that um, the first thing is very much on my mind is that if there were to be younger people listening, and I don't know what the demographic is of your podcast, but we really, we really need to encourage our younger people, and I mean school kids, to you know, consider the sciences, consider the natural sciences. We've got a huge mismatch in the flow rate of you know, talented young people into the geosciences versus the demand out there. So you know, really get them thinking about contributing to the sciences because that has a massive effect, positive effect on the globe. Um, and to consider tech, you know, tech is not, to be blunt, that front of mind for many of our really talented school kids. And it should be. Tech is an industry and also tech is a vocation. So I think that's a, something that I think we really need to double down on here in New Zealand and build that up because it's so valuable to the economy. Um, from our perspective, you know, we're growing fast and we will continue to grow extremely fast. And so we're always interested in purpose-minded um, uh, folks working in and around the technology industry who just want to be part, part of something where their fingers are in changing the world. And if they're into that, and to applying themselves to something of global scale and purpose, we want to hear from you. So give us a call. Great. I will. Thank you again for your time, Graham Grant, and uh, congratulations to uh, to the whole Sequent team on uh, on the win as the PwC uh, High Tech uh, Company of the Year for 2022. Thanks so much, and thanks for inviting us on. Great, thanks, Graham. Claire Bradley, welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Kia ora, Paul. Thanks for having me. Kia ora. and uh, look, thank you, um, yeah, for, for taking the time. But congratulations on the uh, the win on uh, on Friday night at the NZ uh, High Tech Awards, the uh, Callahan Innovation High Tech uh, Penny Maori Aotearoa Maori Company of the Year uh, winner. So um, yeah, that's uh, it's very very exciting. Um, 
can you maybe uh, maybe start with a little bit of a background of uh, Agracy? This is um, you know a company that's been around for quite some time, but you know seems to have a real history of doing you know very innovative uh, things, and uh, you know you're very much at the forefront of uh, of tech right now. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I think we're still um, kind of coming down from. Um, you know, the elation and celebration of Friday night. It was really, you know, a bit of a win to get uh, seaweed and high tech in the same sentence. Um, you know, the seaweed sector around Aotearoa is, is just kind of at the forefront starting to kind of build and take off and scale. So, you know, to kind of have that recognized as, as high technology or applications from seaweed as high technology was a win um, for, for the sector, I think. Um, and in terms of accuracy, uh, it was started some 26 years ago um, by my husband's Fano, um, who actually were school teachers originally, and discovered seaweed use for mainly for growing plants and soils. And they did this for their own home garden primarily, and it kind of grew. You know, initially it was a, a famous rosarian trying to uh, save an old rose in Morrinsville, um, and it did. And then the Parnell Rose Gardens wanted it, and then commercial kiwi fruit growers wanted it. It's just kind of built quite organically. Um, they were such visionaries, Jill and Keith. You know, they really saw the potential of seaweed for Aotearoa as an industry, but also for its uh, part to play in our ecological restoration, um, both in our waters and on land. So it's been quite the journey. Um, we're, you know, we're family-run, family-owned, um, multi-generational, our children are involved. Our, um, you know, grandparents along the way have been involved, and so to be recognised um, in this way is hopefully an encouragement to any other whānau out there um, trying to make headwind against a swimming upstream in a new and, and challenging sector. Hopefully, it gives them encouragement and support to carry on. Look, I think these these stories definitely do. So you know, I think that's that's you know what I I enjoy so much about uh, you know hearing the the uh, the insights and uh, and the the um, you know the the stories of um, you know what what makes great uh, great businesses and um, yeah, I'm definitely keen to hear more. So tell us a little a little bit about um, you know. That um, that the role really of of you know how seaweed sort of compares to you know the other options that um, you know especially I, I guess it's especially the the um, agricultural sector um, you know have in terms of you know chemicals and 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 other things and um, you know how much difference uh, that that uh, that that makes. Yes, and you know primarily our markets have been um, agricultural and horticulture sectors here in New Zealand and, and some offshore. And, and the role of those products as, as biostimulants has been using um, and harnessing natural microbes and feeding them to enable and um, encourage plant growth, vitality and health. Um, so they can be used alongside um, our standard fertilizer range and in some ways in replacement um, to reduce the, the input of synthetic fertilizers, you know, which are often based um, with high, high carbon footprints and things that kind of add to the um, challenges, I think, from some of our agricultural and horticulture sectors. 
But this award in particular is focused on products we're making from our waste stream. So we make biostimulants and we have a leftover residue um, that we were already circular. We used to put it into salt blocks and animal feed and things that were still kind of lower value. And really, we want to see seaweed as a high-value, unique uh, sector for Aotearoa. And so our responsibility is then trying to get really high value. So from this waste stream, we partnered um, with the expertise at Scion, one of the Crown Research Institutes who are up on stage with us and have been just an absolute cornerstone part of our journey. And they've developed this incredible um, mechanical technique to extract nanocellulose. So that nanocellulose and these hydrogels made from the nanocellulose are renewable and replacements for petroleum-based polymers in a range of products. Um, and they can include anything from burn dressings, biomedical engineering, drug delivery, cosmetics, and agriculture, in electronics. I mean, who knew you could put seaweed in electronics, right? Like it's just nuts. It's insane. Wow. So, you know, for us, while we've been focused in that restoration of Tetaio and our land and waterways, even better if we can create high value petroleum replacements um, from seaweed as well. Wow. I'm, yeah, I'm blown away how many uh, possibilities there uh, there are. That's really cool. And so, tell us about this partnership with Scion. Scion is a, you know, as a, I think they're a crown entity with a, you know, a long, uh, a long, you know, history of of innovation. Um, and in fact, you know, my uh, my my family owes, you know, I guess uh, uh, a lot to Scion because when my parents walked off uh, walked off the boat. Um, However many decades ago, my uh, my father turned up and knocked on Scion's door and they gave him a oh, job wow. as a uh, computer programmer. Um, so, uh, you know, a bit, bit of a connection Amazing. there. Um, but how did that come about? How were you able to, um, you know, to link link that up? And, um, you know, how, how long did it did it sort of take to bring that, uh, that connection yeah. together? Um, it was actually kind of by accident that we met uh, the people at Scion um, we work with a, a range of different universities and CRIs and different parts of our business. But on this particular occasion, Tani and I were speaking um, as kind of up-and-comers at this Matariki X, which celebrates Māori entrepreneurship. And we happened to sit next to these two scientists at dinner, and they were telling us about making crystals from seaweed, and we thought they were nuts. We didn't really, you know, kind of think much of it. We thought, I think you're, you know... Great idea, but how does it have legs? I mean, seaweed, you can make lots of it, right? We'll see. And so we got to know these people um, and we got talking more and more about what it is that we could potentially create together, but also why we want to create it together. So that's a really important for accuracy and in terms of aligning our values and vision and partnerships. They were really clear that they wanted to do amazing, awesome science. And we were really clear that we wanted to take the science to the world to help make an impact. So we're really clear on where it was that we both played. So great ideas. You know, they're easy to come by. Uh, a lot harder to put into action. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a fair bit of grunt and mahi and, and work that's gone in from, you know, all of the team as a collective. 
Um, but we've always just supported each other, continued to encourage each other. Um, and we ended up getting a Smart Ideas grant from MB uh, to help fund some of that initial research. We then um, ended up with a Bioprocessing Alliance grant, which deals with waste streams. Um, and we're now building um, the world's only seaweed nanocellulose hydrogel plant um, here in Paidor. So we've been able to license that technology that Scion have, have developed and to come together in a partnership to achieve what we want to together. That's great. Now, you're based in uh, Paidor. Uh, this is a as a place I've you know travelled through many many times, but um, wasn't aware that it's uh, you know that it uh, was was home to uh, Agracy, and uh, obviously you know it works well from from your perspective as a mm. as a base. Yeah, I think you know initially, like any bootstrap startup, it was about um, you know kind of cheaper rent, good floor space, um, main trunk lines, and things like that. But actually, the community of Paiorua have been hugely supportive of the work we do. Uh, we've got incredible people even moving into our area, some fantastic brains. And also, you're, you're an, hour, an hour to Hamilton, an hour 10 to Tauranga. Sometimes it feels much longer with the traffic. And then an hour 20 to Auckland. So, you know, you've kind of got this golden triangle to pull on so many different expertise um, and we ended up buying the next Silverfern Farms works, which is we've got 22 acres here. So we've got a really nice big site, big buildings. Um, and like I said, it's easy to get to ports for export or to pull in expertise. And uh, talk us through that es export um, aspect. What's the, what is the opportunity here from an e export yeah, perspective? Yeah, so seaweed is hugely abundant around the world. Um, you know, it's coming up and creating stinks on beaches in the Caribbean. None of the people on holiday want to be surrounded by smelling rotten seaweed. Um, so, you know, there's lots of people kind of coming up with ideas of what to create from it. Um, and this hydrogel and nanocellulose and nanocellulose crystals is but just one of those ideas. So there is the opportunity to export this technology um, to where resources are around the world. We currently already export, but we export goods in terms of our biostimulants, primarily into Italy, where they use it for grape growing for viticulture, um, grows the best grapes in the world for winemaking, um, but then also to America, Canada and Australia for a, a product that um, helps gut parasites and honeybees all out of seaweed. And how big is your team? Because it, it seems to me there's a lot of complexity. There's, you know, it's not just one simple product that you've got going to one market, uh, you know, you're, you're juggling a, a lot. Yeah, a lot and sometimes, there. you know, people see that as um, a, a negative because they say, you know, just focus on one thing. However, with seaweed being such a new sector and opportunity, we really have to be kind of, my, my mother-in-law has always called it titiro whanui, or looking long and wide. So that if we get too narrow, we can miss out on, on opportunity. But not only that, the, the breadth of our business gives us a lot of resilience, especially when we've been reliant on something like the agriculture sector, which, as we know, has, has many highs and many lows. So if we have diversity in our income, we've got a really resilient and robust business, which I think stands for the fact that 26 years later, 
we're still here and really we feel like we're only just getting started. Yeah, that's exciting. And how do you how do you find um, you know the the people that you need to uh, you know have in the business and uh, you know how do you develop people? How does that yeah, work so for you? We've got a team of around uh, thirty five. Uh, full-time employees. We also work with our remote coastal communities at the um, seaweed gathering um, part. We also start to uh, partner in that end of the value chain around growing seaweed, both on land um, as a bioremedial tool and in the ocean. So we've got partnerships kind of at every level of our business. Um, and often we, um, you know, create partnerships and then um, work with them in a more uh, meaningful way or they may become employees in some instances. So our breadth of knowledge within our team is incredible. Um, we've got aquaculturalists through to biochemists through to incredible passionate people around the farming sector uh, who are knowledgeable and can help farmers be more sustainable. Um, yeah, we've just built a, a, an incredible team um, of really passionate individuals who want to see the same things as us. We want to make an impact on the world. That's what it's all about. That's awesome. Um, and look, this is this is an award that you know recognises um, Agracy as the Maori Company of the Year. I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of you know how are we doing as a you know as a nation in terms of you know su supporting yeah. Maoridom and. Uh, you know, supporting uh, entrepreneurs in this area and, um, you know, bringing, bringing more people, uh, you know, through into, into roles that maybe, you know, traditionally we didn't see so yeah. many Māori involved in. I think, in. Um, you know, speaking to Sue Ian Taylor and Hemi Rolleston from Scion and Grant Strecker, who, you know, kind of got together, um, I think Grant's comment was, you know, there are more Māori serving on the bar than in these awards. And they said about trying to change that. So having leaders in the sector like those three has been hugely beneficial. Uh, for for Agracy, um, you know, we just kind of look to um, look to some of the uh, values in Te Ao Māori around kaitiakitanga, around whakawhanaungatanga, building relationships, looking after our resources. And, you know, from a business perspective, those things have started to be talked like about climate mitigation and wellness and growing your people. I mean, those things have been in Indigenous cultures forever. So it's really neat now starting yes. to bridge some understanding and go, oh, I can really see why that is hugely valuable uh, for the future of our economy and for the future of our environment. It's, we find it tough, you know, it's, um, you know, we don't necessarily have those values written all over our website. It's more important for us to just be who we are and live those values than just talk about them. Yeah, that's inspiring. Thank you. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, you wanted um, to add today, Claire? No, I think you know, like I think I said in the beginning, you know, for us and for the seaweed sector, um, putting seaweed in the same sentence as high technology is a real win. And if I reflect on that, you know, the Prime Minister's statement of technology being not only the best in the world from New Zealand, but making sure we're the best for the world. So for Agracy, we're really committed to making sure that everything we develop is the best for the world. I love it. That's great. 
Well, thank you very much and uh, congratulations uh, again, Claire Bradley and, of course, the whole team uh, at Agracy for, uh, for an incredible win. And uh, we're really, you know, looking forward uh, to what's ahead. And it sounds like, uh, as you said, uh, it sort of feels a little bit like the beginning. So uh, that, that suggests to me you've got uh, your sights set on, uh, you know, many exciting adventures ahead. So we, we look forward to following that. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me today, Paul. Kia ora. Well, welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Great to have you here, uh, Milan Cooper. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, look, big congratulations. Uh, the, yourself and the team at uh, First AML uh, just come away with uh, winning the Kiwi Bank Most Innovative High-Tech uh, Service Award at uh, NZ High-Tech Awards, which is uh, you know great achievement. Thank you. Yeah, we're really pleased with it. It's, uh, it's great to get that recognition. Yeah, so look, there'll be a lot of people that will know a little bit about First AML. No doubt there'll be some that you know don't know much about you at all. So yeah. maybe we could start a little bit at the beginning. You know, how did uh, how did First AML uh, you know come about, and uh, you know what are, what are the foundations for the business? Yeah, sure. Well, just to, to start with, AML stands for Anti Money Laundering, and it's a concept and um, started in the banking banking and financial sectors. And uh, it, it, it requires, uh, during customer onboarding, for various checks to be completed. And um, how our business got started was, was really um, with my two co-founders, Chris Kagu and Beyond Baden, and they were working in banking, and uh, they were uh, relationship managers, and they were really frustrated with how long it would take to onboard new customers into the bank. And at the, the heart of this was the AML rules and they required quite um, detailed diligence be conducted on, on customers and what that means in this context is digging through corporate structures, uh, finding uh, directors and shareholders of these, of these customer entities and then verifying their identity. And so AML is a, is a very um, uh, administrative uh, sort of complex process to be conducted, and um, and that's where where you know we first observed the problem, and uh, what we do now, uh, the, the focus of First AML is is around streamlining customer onboarding, uh, particularly focused on the uh, the AML requirements. Yeah, the the. the um that's a change, the um, anti-money laundering rules that we have today compared to where we were. I don't know how long back now. It's just how many years is it since the legislation's been in that, you know, requires all of this, uh, you know, extra effort to be to be put in to verify people? Yeah, it started in New Zealand in 2013. And then at that time, it was just the banks and financial institutions that had to comply um, what happened in 2018 was that new legislation was introduced which required uh, the legal sector, the accounting sector and real estate agencies to comply as well. And um, they are really some of the, the customer verticals that um, we, we really targeted at the start and we're helping um, with great success because um, they weren't equipped um, like the, the large banks with, with huge resources to put in place you know, robust processes around customer onboarding and, and um, AML compliance. And so um, many of our customers um, are in that legal accounting and, and real estate sector, as well as uh, financial services. Yeah, it's certainly there's a, there, was, there was a big problem there 
Uh, you know, I know my own experience, you know, if you're a director of a business, there's sort of certain scenarios with interactions with banks and then um, having been through a you know, property sale in the, in the last year. And, yeah, for me, I remember being one, one particular uh, bank and, you know, they have one way of handling handling. Um, and and um, and and an aspect of it, and um, there was an, another another bank that I needed to go through an AML verification with, and their process was completely different, and it was you know it was just seemed nuts how at odds you know yeah. with with each other um, you know they were, and so I think yeah anything to bring you know simplicity through, yeah. but also you know we talk a lot about. Data privacy and cybersecurity. That's kind of, I think, a, another area that you know people aren't that comfortable with. Just oh yeah, just click this link and send your information off to this, you know, some some yeah. firm. Um, that that side, I, I imagine, is as a challenge. We yeah. you must have to work to you know build confidence in your you know ability to keep people's uh, people's data under under lock and key. Absolutely, and and to your first point. Um, You've described a situation where you were put through AML processes multiple times, you know, um, selling houses or, or opening bank accounts or, or what have you. And um, the, the painful thing for you as a consumer is that um, you are being asked to hand over your passport and perhaps if you're using a trust or other structures, trust deeds and source of wealth and source of funds and these things over and over becomes quite intrusive. Um, to you as a consumer, and secondly, uh, you, you've highlighted the the risk around you know are you know you being onboarded by secure means. And so are people asking you to send documents uh, over email, which is not very secure, or, or over other unsecure means, and and that presents a risk to um, to you and, and your data, and 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 so um, you know at first email we're really focused on on these problems and solving these problems and. Uh, the first thing I mentioned was around how can we avoid you having to repeatedly hand over your PII, your personal identifiable information, over and over to all of these different um, professional services firms or real estate agencies or banks. Um, and um, because each time you do that, it presents a risk, right? And so um, our approach with First AML is to create uh, a network that um, we can we can facilitate, and with your consent, we can securely pass on some of these AML records to the party that needs them, uh, rather than them being fired around willy nilly over email. And so that's one important um, aspect of what we do, and, and something which makes our model quite unique, because it saves you a lot of time as the consumer and frustration, and um, ultimately it gets the job done um, in a compliant manner and, and much faster. With, with less friction for everyone involved. Um, the second aspect, uh, you know, I think it's important to highlight is, you know, we take the the privacy and security aspects so seriously. It's it's just critical for our business, and so we invest heavily in information security management. And uh, you know, we we we've invested to obtain ISO twenty seven thousand one certification, and yeah, these things are just critical for our business. Building trust with with our users and, and the consumers who ultimately go through our processes. Yeah. So, in terms of the 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 establishment of first AML, when did when did you start? We started in two thousand eighteen. 
Yeah, so we started um, around the, the time where the new legislation came in, and uh, this was 1st of July 2018, and we had our first law firm customer sign up a couple of days before. So we, um, it, was, it was great timing, and, and we were off and running from, from July 2018. So that, that initial sort of you know, period of getting started and getting some runs on the board, you know, what did that look like? How hard was that to, to be getting customers, to be getting uh, you know, funding? Yeah. What did, what did that piece look like? Yeah, I think we were um, quite lucky in that we were able to build uh, an MVP at very low cost that got the job done in the early days. And, and um, it allowed us to really prove that we had a market here. We had customers clambering to sign up. That's and, great. Um, and it was, it was fantastic. And, you know, I, I, would, I would say we, we had good timing as well. And I think... Um, Good timing is, is, is great in entrepreneurship because, um, you know, we had uh, all of a sudden a bunch of new customer segments who needed to needed a solution and needed to comply with, with AML. And so, um, yeah, a combination of, of um, putting an effective MVP in place and good timing was what got us off and running. And then from there, it was easy to attract um, investment. And we've been, we've been quite lucky to, um, to be able to raise funds uh, from venture capitalists um, pretty easily. And that started, that journey started with the Ice House here in, in New Zealand in early 2019. So, so when we were um, six or seven months uh, post, post initial launch. And, um, and following that, you know, we've got now an, investors in the US and in Australia and in Europe. And we've done four uh, rounds of capital raising in total now. So, that capital raising piece must be pretty essential for you in terms of you, you know you seem to have been moving at a at a you know really fast clip yeah and uh, I guess you know and in, in some fields you talked about that timing aspect um, you know in some areas that can make a real difference others not so much but yeah. I I imagine this is something where you've had to move pretty quick in order to you know uh, find your position in the market develop your your technology. That's right, yeah. And New Zealand, it was a bit of a land grab in, in 2018 and 2019 mm-hmm. as these new segments um, needed to needed solutions. Um, and, yeah, we've been, we've been wanting to grow fast and, and you need capital to grow fast in, in, in the early days especially. Um, but it's also, you know, very expensive undertaking to build technology, as we all know. And, and so, you know, we've, we've built up to... Uh, engineering team of over 30 now um, and, and some some folks in, in, in our product team as well and um, and that you know you need capital to build up those teams that quickly uh, to do to do that organically um, is, is very difficult and, and takes more time so we want to take on the world we're very ambitious um, we, we've now launched in, in Australia and the UK and um, yes, it, it it helps to be well funded to to move at this pace. Yeah. yeah. So, what have you raised so far in in terms of uh, capital? Uh, total forty one million New Zealand dollars. Yeah, and and most recently, uh, and the majority of that was the thirty million dollar Series B uh, in October two thousand twenty two, uh, two thousand twenty one, and um, and su- super happy to partner with Blackbird Ventures, uh, who led that round. Uh, and welcome Sam Wong from Blackbird Ventures onto our board, who's just been an amazing um, help to the company so far. That's great. Yeah. So 
where where to from here? You seem to be, uh, uh, you know, not just focusing on New Zealand. You've very much got those international ambitions. So, yeah. um, you know, what's what what are you, what are you seeing as the the challenges as you sort of spread your wings, as it were? Yeah. Um, look, there's there are some natural challenges with operating in, in three markets and having teams on the ground and in, in, in three markets. Uh, and so that's been a bit of a learning curve for us um, and lots of work to do to get our you know, global teams really um, in sync. Um, and yeah, we're really excited about the markets we're in and helping customers in those markets. And you know, quite recent into the UK, but it's the value proposition we have is landing really well there. And so look, AML is just such a pain point for firms and, and we're, just, we're just trying to get better and better and, and improve our product and um, deliver more features to our customers so that they, you know, really getting more and more value out of it. Um, so, yeah, just continued investment in, in our product and, our, um, and how we're helping our customers is, is the main focus for the next couple of years. Uh, and obviously to just continue growing in those core markets. Yeah. And so going into a new market, you know, like the UK, um, you know, you need to have people, people on the the ground, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm picking to a degree there. Yeah. Uh, you got uh, time zone challenges, and yeah, you know, you're certainly not the first, you know, the first into the market. So you know, quite a quite a different um, scenario than uh, yeah. than New, New Zealand, right? So how how uh, you know how you're tackling yeah. those things? So um, we we um, have. We are lucky in that we have a founding group who are quite mobile. And so Beyond uh, has been happy to, to move around a bit and he's moved to Sydney um, to yeah. launch Australia uh, a year and a half ago and, and now he's moved to London. And I think having that founder on the ground in market, mm. particularly when they're a sales leader like Beyond, is, is super useful. And, um, and there's no substitute for um, yeah, getting those key people on the ground and making sure that... that the DNA from the company is really embedded in, in the new team that's being formed in that market. Um, another, I think another thing that we've uh, done effectively is we've, we've made the correct investment in the UK. So we haven't just dipped our toe in the, in the water with one or two salespeople, which you run a risk of, of them becoming sort of a single point of failure mm. and really not knowing if it's them or it's the, if it's the market. Now, we've launched with um, 16 salespeople in total, and we are able to get such good feedback uh, about if this is working or not. And um, I was quite pleased to get some validation from um, some of some of sort of the market entry experts that NZTE has connected us to around um, around this sort of the correct level of of investment in a new market to, to really give it a good go. Yeah, yeah. Not just dip your toe in and, and really um, not not be sure whether it's going to be successful or not. Um, so I think that's that's been a good learning and I'm pleased with how we've approached that. That's excellent. That's great. Um, if, if people are interested in, uh, you know, finding out a little bit more, uh, where do they look, and you know, are you are you on the lookout for you know particular skills, particular type of people at the moment? Yeah, we hundred percent are. We're always looking for top talent, and um, big thing for us is you know we want to find people who want to be part of an exciting journey. You know, we are, uh, you know, one one analogy I'm using at the moment is we're trying to climb Mount Everest, and 
we want to find people that are excited to be on that type of journey. Uh, it's not a walk in the park being in a high growth startup. It's not sort of place you come just to, to, to work a nine to five and, and clock in and clock out. And so if there's any listeners out there that are wanting to be part of something really exciting and find a place to really um, advance your career quickly, those are the sort of people we're looking for across any, um, across any field really. Um, and um, yeah, if you, if you, if you want to know more, you can visit firstaml.com and, and visit our, our careers page. Um, but yeah, we're, we're very excited about the journey ahead and, and just you know, making this an, another iconic tech company to um, come out of New Zealand and really follow in the footsteps of Zero. Yeah. Oh, that's really exciting and uh, definitely, you know, wish you all the best in the in the next phases of the journey. Thank you very much. Um, and yeah, congratulations again on your uh, your win at the uh, the NZ High Tech Awards. Um, and certainly we look forward to hearing more about uh, First AML in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, Paul. All right. Thanks, Milan. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening in. It's Paul Spain signing out. We will catch you on our next, our second special episode focused on the NZ High Tech Awards for 2022. And of course, a special thank you to our NZ Tech Podcast partners for their support. Thank you, Two Degrees, Vodafone, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, Cyclone and Aruba. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.